Welcome to What's the Buzz with Ada podcast. This podcast is for beekeepers from Atlantic Canada who want relevant, timely information about beekeeping in our region. We feature beekeepers and experts with specialist insight into our beekeeping and pollination industries. I'm Andrew Byers, your host for this episode, and today we will be speaking with our guest, Chris Lockhart. Chris is a commercial beekeeper from the Moncton area. He is also a honey producer selling through his well-known brand, Atlantic Gold. Chris is past president of the New Brunswick Beekeeping Association and currently the representative for Atlantic Canada on the Honey Council. Welcome, Chris. Yeah, thanks uh, Thanks for having me, Andrew. No, it's our pleasure and thank you for taking time out of your, your busy schedule to talk to us. What we usually try to do uh, when we talk to people is everybody has their favorite funny beekeeping anecdote and we prefer it if it's if it's something that has happened to you but it might be just something you've come across that's strange and unusual in your beekeeping career that you'd like to kind of share with us to get things going definitely a few funny stories that have happened uh on on the farm i guess the first funny thing that comes to mind is um a few years ago uh, myself and one of my uh, crew were up uh, dropping bees off from cranberries and uh, it's the middle of the night, so you can't see anything. And, and we're going with two different flak deck trucks. And uh, we're moving along, doing the drops together. And anyway, I pull up to do the next drop, and I can see his headlights, and he's not moving. You know, a minute goes by, two minutes go by, and he's still not moving. Turns out there was a bird had gotten into the cab of his truck, and he was trying to catch it. You got a picture, it's pitch black. He can't really see it. And it's flying around the cab, bouncing off his head, bouncing off the windows. And eventually he did get it out. And, and that's what was taking him so long. So anyway, I, I, we always have a good laugh over that one every time it, it comes up. It's funny, you know, beekeepers. <laughs> Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of stinging insects in a truck with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one little bird comes along and disrupts the whole operation. When I came into beekeeping in, in this region, uh, the name Ralph Lockhart was one that I heard almost immediately. And yeah. unfortunately, he passed before I got a chance to meet him. But he was just one of these people that everybody seemed to know and everybody had a great respect for. And also somebody that said to me, you know, people would say to me, oh, it's a shame you didn't get to meet him. And, and that was your uncle. And maybe you can tell us about his role in beekeeping, because I know it was significant in our region. Yeah, um, growing up, I didn't, I didn't know it. It was more when I, I came back and, and got involved with the family business that I realized I always knew he was kind of a legend um, in New Brunswick uh, with the, what he had done. But the more meetings I went to and stuff like that, the more people I met from even Nova Scotia and PEI that knew him very well and, and told me how good of a beekeeper he was and how much he did for the industry. He was involved with the uh, New Brunswick Beekeeping Association for many years, um, doing terms as the president, secretary, the treasurer, lobbying government. He was the director uh, for the CHC for um, at least one term. 
started keeping bees in the 70s, just started with five uh, packages, worked at uh, CN Railway all the way up until the 90s, uh, was running two jobs, would work the night shift at the railway and then run the bees during the day. And, and eventually uh, he was going to quit CN, but they ended up buying him out anyway. So it worked out for him and, and then he went into bees full time starting in the 90s. But he, he was a wealth of knowledge. Unfortunately, I didn't have nearly enough time with him to learn, you know, a, a fraction of what he knew. Um, but uh, it, it's safe to say that he was really well respected and, and did a lot for the industry as a whole. I think we're lucky to have, there's a few people around and people whose names we could mention that everybody knows that have that wealth of information. And, and it is, I was talking to somebody recently and I said to them, and, and, and a lot of it, these people, they're very humble in, in what they know. And, and I said to somebody, you know, we should take all your knowledge somehow and get it out of your brain and put it on a, a yeah. computer or something. So we have it forever that we can, we can go back like a database. And, and of course this, this person, I think, you know, who I'm talking about, yes. um, long-term beekeeper denied that he knew very much about bees and it's like well and and i think th th there are names and and your your uncle ralph was one of those people that everybody whenever he's mentioned it's the same story about how much and and the willingness to share in the industry and the positive contribution because there's there's certainly a few beekeepers out there who um, have wealth of knowledge but maybe not the willingness or the ability to, to communicate and share it but but that's certainly what i what i heard and and uh, got you started in your beekeeping career, which we'll we'll get into. You're from New Brunswick, yes, local, local boy, you'd say. Born and bred, yeah. Grow up playing sport, hockey, and baseball around Moncton. Yeah, this yeah. is. And then you left. Growing up, when I was in, uh, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, um, I would work summers on the farm. At the time, I hated the labor. I was one of those people that was hoping to be an academic and um, do something that I wouldn't have to work real hard at. After, you know, going to college, leaving home, I lived in Halifax for two years, lived in Edmonton for six years, started to miss family and, and wasn't really, uh, I wouldn't say I wasn't enjoying what I was doing, but, but miss family and friends and decided to move back and, and talk to my uncle about getting involved with the family farm. He had no kids, no wife. I know he was looking for a succession plan and I've really embraced the mix of the physical labor, the challenges working bees, learning about them, and, and then running the business side. Doing all of that together, um, I really, really uh, enjoy it. Plus being outside all the time, I enjoy that as well. And, and the people I've met along the way have, have really kept me engaged and involved. And, and the nice thing about bees, I find, is you, you don't stop learning, you know. Um, there is no plateau. You're, you're always learning. There's always something new. The bees surprise you seemingly every year. The more, I find the more I get to know about them, the more difficult it becomes, you know. The less you know, the more blind you are to everything. And then I find once you start really getting into it, the more difficult it becomes because you do get to know so much and you're looking for so many things. But uh, I, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed the adventure so far. Is beekeeping is, is like that puzzle that never gets solved. You know, you can see that you're working towards a resolution, but there's always another another twist or turn to it. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's what keeps a lot of us involved. 
and uh, you know the the whole lifelong learning concept uh, the cliche that it's become now it certainly does apply to beekeeping then so so lockhart apiaries um yes. and also atlantic gold is the brand that you sell your honey under yes and you came into to the business lockhart apiaries and atlantic gold working with your uncle and now seven years down the road you've developed those into well recognized um, businesses in the beekeeping industry, but also in, in the retail honey side. Maybe if we can, let's start talking a little bit about pollination, maybe. Sure. And if you want to give us an overview of, of the pollination side of Lockhart Apiaries. So we, uh, we're primarily into pollination and um, retail honey sales. We do a little bit of nuke production and, and some of our own queens as well, but uh, the vast majority of our income and revenue comes from um, blueberry pollination. Just like everybody else in Atlantic Canada, there's there's not much time getting into the bees and, and going to blueberries. From some of the people I've talked to, it seems like in Southern New Brunswick, we're the first ones out the door to pollination. Some of the Nova Scotia guys I've talked to seem to go a week later, which it would be nice if we could get that as well, because you could do so much more with the bees at that time of the year if you had an extra week. That schedule being driven by the blueberry bloom. Exactly, yeah. So so we're typically going out anywhere between May 25th and the 1st of June. You know, our last loads might be going after June 1st, but um, we're usually out the door. Um, everything's out by the 2nd of June on, on a typical year. I don't know if we have typical seasons anymore. It's been all over the place, but, uh, but yeah. And, and so we run a couple boom trucks. Um, we, we move all the bees ourselves. It's gotten really interesting in the last few years um, where we started to incorporate technology where our blueberry growers will send us coordinates and uh, they're very, very accurate when you have um, a cell phone with uh, Google earth or Google maps, I guess it would be. And, and we go right on that, GPS coordinate that he gave us and, and we drop however many he wants us to. So they don't even have to meet us in the field anymore. We send a crew of two guys or two crews of two um, when we're moving bees and, and, and we can move them pretty quick once we start going. So typically once we start moving them, it's about five or six days and we've got them all out. So, so leading up to that point and moving bees is incredibly challenging, especially if you get a lot of rain and stuff and you're trying to get supers on and you're working day and night is what you're doing. With that use of technology, how do you find our beekeepers and uh, blueberry producers really embracing that sort of thing? It depends on the beekeeper and the blueberry grower. Um, younger generation for sure would be uh, more likely to embrace it. As you know, a lot of the beekeeping generation are 60 years old plus, so might not be willing to embrace it. The blueberry growers I deal with are a mix of younger and older, and it tends to be the younger generation that is doing that. Uh, the guy in particular I'm talking about doesn't like to be out in the middle of the night, you know. We, we usually get out there uh, by the time we load all the bees and stuff. Uh, we're out there at maybe midnight or one in the morning, and then it takes us, depending on how many drops, you know, an hour and a half or so to unload. So you're talking, you're out there at 2.30 in the morning kind of thing. So he sends us the GPS coordinates and we know where we're going um, before we even leave, which is nice. So we can actually figure out how long of a night it's going to be if everything goes well, which never happens either. But 
we can have a loose plan on how long everything's going to take before we even leave. Sure. And then you can start planning the next day as well. You can say, okay, well, we're going to be back at 1.30 in the morning. We'll be able to be back in the field at 10 a.m. 5 a.m. night, well, we might not get as much stuff done tomorrow as, as we might want to. Yeah. But the, those efficiencies, that's really what we need to look at, isn't it, in the industry? Yeah. Uh, how to be more efficient. So with your, with your pollination and your ability to, to have that little head start on, uh, on some beekeepers because of the bloom being earlier in southern New Brunswick, does that enable you then to uh, take advantage and do two uh, pollinations? See, we used to do that, uh, but it's been less common um, the last few years. When we did that, it, was, it really made beekeeping quite profitable. You know, you could rent down south and then you would grab your bees from the southern fields and move them up to the northern fields and do a double pollination. The odd person still does that a little bit, but their first loads are going out um, May 20th, 22nd kind of thing. The, the pollinations always overlap a little bit. They overlap a lot now. And that's what we dealt with before was trying to get the southern producer to allow the bees to leave because the northern producer was ready for them. And then you would get the odd year that they would overlap completely. And then the Northern guy and the Southern guy would be in a fight and the beekeeper would be in the middle of it because it's hard to promise your bees to both when you don't know how the season's going to go. So that's when, um, that's when the Ontario bees coming in really kicked off was the Northern guys could not guarantee that they would have their bees on time because they'd be pollinating down South. And that's when the Northern guys, and I don't blame them, started insuring their bees by, by bringing Ontario hives in and then stopping the uh, double pollination altogether. And it doesn't work anymore, really. The, the pollination seasons just seem to be too close, too close now. Yeah, we've had comment from guests on our podcast from Nova Scotia saying the same thing, that there used yeah. to be more, um, I guess you describe it as two distinct times of year, times in the spring where pollination could be varied, but now that th with climate change or, or whatever's happening with our weather, there seems to be that blending now. We don't get those, those areas that have that clear um, bloom in this area, then bloom in another. It's all happening together. Yeah, we're, we're seeing that for sure. Even um, we, we do a little bit of apples and apples usually guaranteed uh, they would be finished before our last load out went out for blueberries. But even the last few years, the apple pollination is starting to overlap with the blueberry pollination. So we're starting to get into more trouble there. It seems like everything is blooming at the same time. So you'd say that the, the bread and butter of your operation is the pollination? Yeah, that's... Uh, you. What my uncle used to say was pollination paid all the bills and then honey was the bonus. Okay. So let's talk about the, the bonus, the profit, the gold as you- The gold, yeah. So the other side of your operation is, is uh, all about the honey. Yeah. So, so, so we retail honey uh, at the Sobe stores and, and uh, some other small stores around Southern New Brunswick. Uh, we just released a new modern label that we put into the stores this summer. We're really excited about that. We can already see an uptick in our sales. We used to have a plastic one kg tub. We've switched it to glass. Consumer, we're getting a lot of good feedback about that switch and the new label, which um, is much more modern than our last label. Our, our last label was the first one we had, which I believe was uh, designed in the 80s. 
but we figured that we ran as far as we could with that label and and we decided to to design a new one you know i figure if i'm going to be doing this till i die i might as well look at something i'm really proud of so we wanted yeah. the label to reflect the quality of the honey in the bottle and i think we've done that yes and i've seen it and i did comment to you when i saw it how much an improvement that was yeah um, and how nice it is now and we'll we'll put a we'll, we'll let people know where they can go have a look at it because you've got that on your website and your facebook page so at yes. the end we can direct people to that and they can go have a look and then obviously when they're in the in the grocery stores they want to buy some but you've uh, you've become quite involved with with honey here and i know um it's it's kind of a topic of conversation we've we've drifted into many times about atlantic canadian honey maritime honey and and uh, the quality of that product and yeah. I, I know you and i biased as, as beekeepers <laughs> feel that it's it's excellent and and world class but I, it really is and and i think that uh, you know your new marketing as you said is a reflection of the quality of that honey so do you feel we're, we're gaining ground in, in getting that message out there more broadly yeah, I think so. Like you said, um, I, I think we might be a little bit biased, but at the same time, um, we've always had a lot of good feedback on on the quality of the wildflower honey in in uh, the Maritimes, um, especially. Uh, there's no real giant crops here besides the blueberries, but the majority of your honey that you get is is wildflower honey in in um, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia and PEI and. Uh, I've tried a lot of different honey um, from all over Canada and, and the world and stuff, and I still, I still feel that uh, our honey is is you know can hang out there with with some of the arguably best honeys in the world. Uh, maybe it's because we grew up on it, um, but uh, but anyone you know we still get emails and, and phone calls from people saying you know that they've converted to our honey for one reason or another and and just call us to tell us how delicious it is. So, mm. so when you have consumers, you know, going out of their way to make contact with you, to tell you that um, the, the honey is unbelievable and they wish they, they had switched over sooner. Um, that's always good to hear. Yeah. And, and I think that you're, you're absolutely right. If you, if you're used to that growing up, but I'll tell you growing up, I ate honey, but it was, the mainstream commercial honey from the grocery stores, which would not necessarily be from our region. And, and an awful lot of people talk to me, and this is a story that you would have heard uh, numerous times as well, I don't like honey. Yeah, and, yeah. And I, I say to them, well, what, what, what do you, you know, what kind of honey do you, do you buy? And I won't mention any, any you know, national brands, but that, that, that honey that would be mass produced um, and sold across our entire country. And, and, and when you can entice them to try your honey, the, as you've described it, the natural wildflower honey of our region, the, the, the look on their face and, and the, the recognition of how good that is compared to what they have grown up on, if yes. they weren't fortunate enough to, to get the, the good stuff, it's a transformation in a lot of people. And, and that's, you know, part of the, the, the pleasure of being a honey producer, isn't it? When you can inform people and demonstrate to them how good a quality product this is. I think it's an unfortunate situation where, you know, people maybe don't recognize what's, what's excellent in their own area. You, you must get the comments as well from people outside our region that, that really want our honey. 
Yeah, we get a lot of Ontario people that we either know that um, are from New Brunswick and move back and forth or other reasons. But um, I've had people from Quebec and Ontario pushing me to try to either sell there or we, we've shipped honey to those provinces on special orders and people's, you know, honey's heavy, right? So the, the ship the freight is, is significant when you're sending honey, but people just don't care. They, they enjoy the quality. They feel like they can't get it where they're at. So, so, so they come to uh, the Maritimes to get it. They certainly should. And, and I think the other thing um, that, that I find perplexing and interesting is the prices of honey, because even though you say to get your honey to Ontario is expensive, the price, once it's there, the value that's put on our honey, our, our region's wildflower honey, is a premium and much better than what we tend to sometimes get at home even. Yeah, absolutely. We've been told that um, we, we sell our honey too cheap out here. And if we could hit those big metropolises in Ontario, you know, we could double or triple the price of our honey and sell everything we had kind of thing. Um, I think one of the other challenges we have, and, and you hear about, and it's it's a quantity versus quality situation, you hear about the huge honey harvests, honey harvests that beekeepers are getting out in other parts of Canada. And our per colony production here is a lot less than some, some regions. We have seasons where it's significantly less. And yeah. I know this year we've we've seen severe drought conditions and variable drought conditions across the uh, Atlantic and, and particularly maritime regions. And I think you were kind of in one of those areas um, where you're producing honey that was hard hit this summer. We were, we were. Um, I wrote about it in my um, regional report uh, for the Canadian Honey Council, Hive Lights Magazine. Yeah, we were in the, uh, the dark red zone, which indicates heavy drought. So we were under uh, average this year, but not as much as I thought we were going to be. Um, we had a little bit of rain right at the right moment, which kicked some of the fall flowers into gear really, really late. You know, they, they had a flow going right up until the end of September. and we, we had most of our boxes off by then, but it bounced the bees back. In, in 2017, we had similar conditions and the bees looked okay come fall, but they had shut down for a very long period of time in August. And uh, there just wasn't enough bees going into winter to, or young bees going into winter to uh, sustain. And a lot of the older bees made them look like they were big clusters, but a ton of, by Christmas time, a lot of the bees had died. Um, so I, I was worried we were heading that way again this year until that fall flow kicked in. In 2017, there was no fall flow at all. So this year, the bees seem to come around. So we're hoping it's not going to be a really bad spring next year. Um, I don't imagine we'll, you know, we're not going to be under 10% loss kind of thing, but I'm hoping we're under 20 uh, still. But yeah, it, it, it was down. It is a shame that we, uh, you know, an average year for us would be 50 pounds a hive. And I talked to a guy I know in uh, Saskatchewan and, you know, they average 300 pounds a hive. That would be their average. And I said, yes. what would you say if I, if I told you, you know, what would 50 pounds of hive for you be? I said, would that be a disaster? He said, that's beyond a disaster. That's, um, you know, he's going to close the doors at that point. So if some of those guys knew 
the honey crops that we live with out here, they would say, you guys are crazy for keeping going. But like you said, it's the quality of the honey. You know, they might get 300 pounds of honey out there, but we're getting that really tasty, diverse wildflower honey out here, which is, which is the message we're pushing to people, the consumer is, you know, every honey might taste a little bit different, but it is that very flavorful, diverse um, taste that I think people are looking for. We were both lucky enough to travel to Montreal this fall for the the huge beekeeping conference in yes. Colombia. And I think yes. there was, I, I don't know the exact number, you can correct me, Chris, there was over 4,000 beekeepers from all over the world there. Yeah, it was madness. And uh, too much to take in with everything that was going on. But one of the things that I came away from that was that there's a recognition globally that honey is not that same product we were talking about that you know people grew up with when you go into the grocery store and and it's all consistent and taste and color that mm -hmm. that honey from different regions of the world is is completely varied and we're moving in towards a situation i think sort of like wine that we know that different wine producing regions all produce excellent wine but all very different Yes. And, and I think uh, there seems to be a building recognition of this, the regionality of honey and the diversity of honey and, and it's all high quality, but it's, it's very different. Yeah, absolutely. We've had people from uh, different places in the world. Um, we've gone to markets and we have our honey on the table and people stop by and, and they're confused because um, in their part of the world, honey is black, let's say. And, and they, they, I have to explain to them it's the different flowers that are growing in different regions. And, you know, people have a hard time wrapping their head around that. But, uh, you know, it is interesting to hear and see people's different point of views on, on honey, especially when they're from different parts of the world. The other thing that occupies a great deal of your time is being involved with the industry more broadly. And I know uh, recently within the last I think, year, you've gotten involved with the Canadian Honey Council as our Atlantic Canadian representative. Yes. That's presented some challenges. I took it on at the point when uh, this virus hit and all the, uh, all the interesting food fairs we were supposed to attend um, around the world have, have all been canceled. So um, I haven't actually met the Canadian Honey Council team face to face yet. Unfortunately, um, we have monthly, um, meetings on and zoom and stuff like that but we're typically supposed to meet face to face uh twice a year which probably won't be happening till hopefully sometime next year but who knows but it's been uh it's been a huge learning curve uh, i took over from mario swinkles he was the previous director did a great job and he often explained to me the different challenges and, and things he learned while he was doing it. And I'm realizing now what he was talking about. It's an incredible group of people. Rod Scarlett's the director, the executive director, incredibly smart guy that does a really, really good job. Um, it's amazing the things he can pull off, but I'm having a lot of fun with it and, and learning a lot. Well, Rod's, Rod's going to be somebody that hopefully will come on the, the podcast one day and explain more about the work of the, the Canadian Honey Council. But my understanding is, and, and, and I may be wrong in this, Chris, but my understanding is when you, when you come as a director, you represent our region, but they also sort of task you with things within the Honey Council, some of the, the, the projects they're taking on. So yes. could you give us maybe an idea of some of the things you've been involved in that, that the Honey Council is trying to work on on behalf of our beekeepers? 
Yeah, we, we break it down into different groups um, and committees. So everyone is in charge of a committee and I happen to have the, the honey committee. So it's interesting. I, w I was given the honey committee. Actually, I think Mario was given the honey committee and then he told me that I was doing it. The guys out West deal with, it's, it's such a different world out there because they're talking about ex uh, exporting honey all over the world and, and breaking into different markets and the price of honey. And uh, out East, uh, typically most beekeepers sell to um, regional beekeepers or packers, like local packers in either Nova Scotia, New Brunswick or PEI. And, and our honey doesn't typically go outside the Maritimes, which I think is great. So it's been a, a lot of learning in the different CFIA testing and, and NMR testing and, and all these different things that they deal with out West. So I'm in charge of that, still learning about it. Um, we're getting back in the meeting season now where the season's winding down. So, so I'll keep you posted on, on what we're doing with the honey committee there. Yeah, good. So you mentioned the, the, the pandemic a couple of times. It's on everybody's mind. It's, it's what we're dealing with. Um, yeah. And at, at this challenging uh, period in our history, it's having a, an effect on beekeepers just like everyone else. I, I think, and, and I want your opinion, that it's actually helped people that are involved in local food production. Yeah, I would say it has, uh, especially early on, and then I think it's going to happen again this winter. We saw a huge spike in sales. I wasn't sure if honey was on the Armageddon list, the day of reckoning um, grocery list for people, and turns out it was. I don't know if it's because it keeps well, because mm. I've always with, said with with the toilet paper. With the toilet paper, yeah. Honey, honey and toilet paper were on the list, people's list for COVID. I've I've always said honey's a luxury item. That's why uh, you know, I get into um talking with people about, you know, honey prices and this and that. And people don't need honey to live. It's always been a luxury item. So I think it's probably because everyone's cooking at home. The last 10 years have, has been a transformation in the way people eat and people are much more conscious on, on what they're eating. So honey is, has taken the front seat to, to sugar. And I think where people are cooking a lot more at home these days, uh, they're trying to eat healthier and uh, stay fit. And honey is on that list of, of stuff that people like to, to cook with or put in their coffee or, or what it, whatever it is. And it doesn't go bad. So um, we've noticed pretty healthy uptick in sales um, in the last six months. And uh, we're expecting that trend to continue, especially with this new label. We're trying to pull people away from some of the big honey packers to support local. And, and I think it's working. So you think people are seeing that, that honey is a, a, an excellent alternative in terms of, of health and, and ethical production? Yes. Yeah. And we, we've had um, more sales like right at the farm gate than we've ever had this year. You know, we have two or three, sometimes four to five people picking up honey um, every week, whereas before it was the odd person here and there. So, so we've noticed an uptick in that where people seem to be avoiding the grocery stores as much as they can altogether and calling us direct. That's definitely trended upwards as well. Good. So it sounds like Lockhart Apiaries and Atlantic Gold is just going from strength to strength. Ultimately, where where are we going to be with uh, with both those businesses? I've got some ideas that I've been noodling with. Um, one of my guys that works for me, he's got a certain background, but we've been toying with a few ideas with commercial beekeeping. You're, there's so many things outside of your control. 
that can mean, you know, losing money in a year, making money in a year. You know, you got, you're fighting the weather, you're fighting Varroa mite, you're into blueberries and, you know, you're fighting different sprays there and, and EFB coming out and this and that. And it's, it can be challenging to uh, sustain. Drought is another big one you're fighting. So we were trying, we're going to try and uh, diversify a little bit and see if we can um, do some things that um, don't totally depend on the bees, but incorporate them. I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to ask you if your, your business diversification has anything to do with baseball bats. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to bring that up. Well, I, I have a lot of hobbies is, is the other important thing I think about. You can see I heard I Chris is showing us his sports injury. Yeah, I tore some ligaments in my hand, which was a pain. Luckily, we were almost done harvesting, so I just couldn't go out for the last uh, few loads. But um, I make baseball bats in my winter. That's my winter hobby slash business. So I, I like woodworking. I always have. Um, and I think it's important to, you know, to do a few other things to clear your head from time to time. I've always found that important. That's why I've had a lot of different hobbies. Because if you do the same thing all the time, I, I find you eventually go a little bit crazy. And I mean, being a beekeeper, you're starting out a little bit crazy. So, so it helps to do some other things. But yeah, if anyone out there needs any baseball bats, you can I, I'll plug that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought we should get we should get that in there. So um, you said about how uh, old the, the the general beekeeping population is, and and I don't think, and I, I hate to tell you this, Chris, but you're you're not going to be considered one of the new young people into the industry anymore. I know, I you're know. A tired old beekeeper, but there are new <laughs> young people coming into the industry or aspiring to enter the industry. Have you have you got now as the old sage that you've become? Have you got any tips for these these people who would like to come into beekeeping or take their beekeeping hobby, take one of those those hobbies, the beekeeping hobby, into uh, a position where it can be income generating or maybe even a full-time job. Yeah, I mean, well, start out, it's terrifying to hear you say that. I am I am hitting the latter years. I remember the first meeting I went to, I was by far, by probably about 20 years, uh, the youngest beekeeper, me and another fella. And, and we were talking about how we couldn't believe how old these guys were. And now we're, you know, everybody seems to be almost younger than us at the meeting. So sadly, that's the reality. But in, in another sense, that's, that's great to see new people coming into it. And there is, there's a lot of opportunity out there for people that, that want um, to do it. It is a lot of hard work. So people have to really enjoy working hard, uh, working long hours. You got to put a lot of money up front to get into it um, in some senses, especially if you want to grow and be uh, quite large. But there's a lot of different things you can do with bees, you know. Um, you can sell nukes, you can pollinate uh, blueberries, cranberries, uh, apples. Selling honey is a good revenue stream. Um, wax is a byproduct. There's been a lot of people doing a lot of interesting things with wax. But as you can see, the jobs pile up pretty quick. And that's, you know, you're not even talking about managing the bees. So there is a lot of opportunity for people that want to do it, get into it and generate some revenue. But the caution I put to people is you have to be on top of it and you have to enjoy doing the work and doing the work when the work needs to be done. The bees don't wait for you. No, they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, I'd, I'd like to thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. So you've been listening to me, Andrew Byers, and my guest, Chris Lockhart, a commercial beekeeper and honey producer from New Brunswick. 
If you want to find out more about Chris and his business, go to atlanticgoldhoney.ca or visit Chris's Facebook page, which can be found as well as Atlantic Gold on social media. Your What's the Buzz with Ada Beekeeping podcast is brought to you by your Atlantic Tech Transfer team for ape culture and perennia food and agriculture. We would like to thank Rachel Oxner and Patty Ryan for production and editing, and we would like to thank you, our listeners. For more information on beekeeping in our region, visit our blog, www.atabuzz.com, and find us on Twitter. Atta at Atlantic B. Honey,